So you're a philosopher? Yes. 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 This is Thoughts and Moments. Hey, hey, it's your boy Silly Thoughts, the Prince of Petty. And I'm Joy, also known as Joyride. I provide the moments to make your life better. We're here weekly to provide the latest news, trending topics, and edutainment. We will engage, entertain, and inform, but we keep it real and we keep it fun. So whether you're riding in these streets or podcast surfing with your peeps, this is a show you don't want to miss. Every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on The Real 1100 a.m. And guess what? It's 5 p.m. So let's go. Go, go, go. Hey, hey, it is your boy, Silly Thoughts, and you are listening to Thoughts and Moments Radio right here on The Real 1100 AM. If I sound muffled or if you're watching us live on our stream, yes, I am wearing a mask. Yes, I look like Bane. Yes, all the jokes. Go ahead, put them in the chat room. Enjoy yourself. But we are trying to stay safe. And as I was traveling earlier this week, I'm trying not to infect my co-host if I have been exposed to anything. And so we decided to go full mask on today until I can kind of make sure that I am still clear. So with that being said, Joyride, how are you? I am good. I am his co-host. I hope that you can hear me as well. I'm going to try to speak slowly and enunciate the way my mother taught me to do so that you can hear me through this mask. And yes, um, as far as I am assured, um, I cannot be sure whether or not Ellis is a walking ball of virus at the moment. <laughs> so we're doing what you guys have been wanting us to do, wearing masks during our um, show. So, and I have my little spray of alcohol that I, you know, you can hear it spritzing the microphone, you know, go a little <laughs> his way, uh, trying to keep everything safe. So uh, we're glad that you're joining us today. We've got a really good show today. So uh, we've got an interview coming up after the half. And um, right now, we just, you know, you know what we do. We're going to go ahead and get into it. Let's get those trending topics. Okay, so I'm going to talk slower because they said in the chat room that I am muffled. So speeding through my enunciation is probably going to make it worse. So I'm going to have to slow down my diction to make sure that people can hear. Um, First off, as we are doing doing during this pandemic, we are doing our uh, COVID-19 update. Wow. Uh, What a difference a couple of weeks make. Uh, yesterday, we uh, nationwide, we cracked 50,000 new confirmed cases in the day as a nation. We're at over 2.7 mm-hmm. million uh, confirmed cases with have, over 125,000 uh, deaths. Yeah. And while I think the I think what I saw was that the United States makes up roughly less than 10 percent of the world's population. We yes. have more than 25 percent of the world's deaths, according to. Uh, uh, attributed to the virus and um, unfortunately you know uh, uh, a lot of people are going to say oh you know our leadership is terrible etc etc but you know God gave you discernment and he gave you common (laughs) sense I see a lot of things on television I'm like "Mm, nah that don't sound right I'm going to do what I know how to do Um, I've seen some ridiculous things in the past 48 hours that helps me understand and I remember having this conversation at the beginning of uh, the lockdown one of my friends is like, well, you can't lock down a country this size. It's just 
you know, it's impossible. I was like, nah, I don't believe that because China's got more people than us and they did it. You know, so I'm not trying to hear volume. I said, the problem is you have too many folks who think it is their divine right to act a fool and to do what they want. And you can't tell them what to do. And that's what we're seeing now. So many people. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, just if you haven't, go to YouTube and search Palm Beach County Town Hall <laughs> and you will see people and, you know, God bless them because, you know, God looks out for fools and babies. But they're talking about how it is against God to breathe through a mask because he gave us this breathing system and this nose and we should use it and we shouldn't defile his uh, perfection by wearing a mask. And um, another woman says she doesn't wear underwear for the same reason she doesn't wear a mask because things got to breathe. I am not misquoting. So yeah, it, I can it, see. I can see why we have so many cases and why we're not seeing the downward trend that other places are seeing. And um, stay home. Wash your hands. I would I would just say that I don't want to be too political, but I would say this. Keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say that when the number of people tested is around is under 10 percent, you've got to ex expect that more mm -hmm. there's more people out there that are carriers mm -hmm. than there are actually reported, not less. So don't go for that. Even if the mortality rate is low, which is still a good thing. So that's a positive thing. That doesn't mean you need to be playing Russian roulette with your life um, out there because uh, I have uh, several friends that are doctors and they said basically if you catch it, um, they said basically wad up some tissue paper, wet it, and try to breathe through that. And that's what it's like trying to breathe th with mm -hmm. COVID. So if you have a problem breathing through your mask, imagine breathing like that. Imagine, or imagine breathing on a ventilator. 24-7. So. Yes. Don't politicize it. Wearing a mask is not a political statement. It is a health statement. That's what it is. And so when we're trying to politicize it, we're trying to make it a hoax. I've heard all kind of crazy conspiracy theories. Wipe all that out. Keep yourself mm -hmm. and your family safe. Be a good neighbor and keep others safe, which is why I'm wearing the mask today. And I'll probably wear it again next week because it, there is... Uh, an incubation period because I want to keep my co-hosts safe. I want to keep my producers safe, uh, you know, and so those are things that's not a political statement. That's a life statement and right. that is a moral statement. And to me, it, it is about being a good neighbor. And so be a good neighbor, mm -hmm. wear your mask and skip all the foolishness. Right. And you know what? I appreciate that because what he is doing by wearing a mask, you know, he's not showing any symptoms. He has no fever. He's not coughing. But on the off chance because he's been in a place that he doesn't normally go to mm -hmm. on the off chance that he has caught something. He is protecting me because he is my friend. And that's what you do for your neighbor. It's what you do for, you know, your fellow man. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So I'm going to wear a mask just in case. Right. That's all we're asking. And I'm sitting here talking through this mask right now. I've had it on for at least 15 minutes. I'm not suffocating. I'm not dying. It's not killing me. Is it a little bit harder to breathe? Yes, but nothing, nothing compared to having your lungs fill up with sludge. Try breathing on a ventilator and then talk to me about how hard it is to breathe through this mask. Right. A couple of shout outs I want to give uh, before we get to our guest is going to call around uh, after our first break. But I um, want to give a birthday shout out to uh, Larry Stewart. He hey, had his Larry birthday love. this uh, this week and uh, he is the guy that got us both started in the radio. So yes. we always got to give uh, Larry, Larry a shout out. Is our muse and our mentor. So happy <laughs> birthday, Larry. And also want to give a shout out to uh, the Wright family. Uh, they're two of my 
a high school classmates that I ran into randomly. Um, they worked at the hospital that my father was at this past weekend. Um, and so they are watchers of, and viewers of the show and they are excited. They are happy to, to see me randomly. Mm-hmm. And um, so I told them I, when I do the show today, I would give them a shout out. So shout out to them. And uh, thank you all for the thoughts and prayers for uh, my family. Uh, my father was in the hospital, still is. He's going to mm-hmm. a rehab facility. And so, but he is out of the woods. And so he is recovering uh, nicely. And my mother had a procedure today, but it was, wasn't as bad as what they thought it could be. And so okay. she is recovering. And so she'll be going home today as well. So thank you all for the thoughts and prayers for my family. And um, I had to be back here to be with my radio family, yes. which is you all. Yes, we appreciate it too. Because I don't know how to go live and do all the technical stuff that <laughs> Ellis does. So when he's not here, we just not live until he gets here. I could learn, but I haven't. And I might not. So, you know, I'm going to let him play that role. That is that is. <laughs> That is funny. Any good news for you, Joy? I know we're going we're gonna to do good news every week. Uh, any good news that happened to, to I, you this past week? I have week? some good news. I have some good I have. A, I want to talk about a moment that touched me. So, I um, a lot of you know that I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant by day. And because of the recent unrest, I've been doing a whole lot of talks and discussions around what it means to be an ally and why is what's happening happening now and what's the history and the background and when I tell you I'll be letting people have it, I take it all the way back to 1619. Like, let me tell you what the last 400 years has really looked like. And I've even gotten some interest from people across the pond, like folks in the UK are asking, how can we be allies? What can we do? Um, they have a similar trend. The numbers are drastically lower, but they have a similar trend of people with brown skin being uh, disproportionately abused by the police. And we talked about it. And one guy just said, You know, he was a white guy because we were on Zoom so you could see it. And he was like, you know, I just I can't imagine what it's like day in, day out and having this emotional trauma from generation to generation. Like we white people, we don't know what it's like. And I can only imagine. And um, my heart goes out to everyone. And he goes and he says, I would liken it to having a brick on your shoulders 24 seven. And I was like, yes, yes, you get it. And just to see that. (laughs) breakthrough and to see other people on that same video be like oh my god I didn't think of it that way and have one of their own explain it to them the way they can understand it helped make my job easier and there's hope there is hope out there for people to finally understand our collectively lived experience and so that just made me so happy I have actually I had to like turn my camera off because I got a little misty like yes that's exactly (laughs) right I'll be right back and so that is my good news. That my good news is that people are listening and they're starting to understand. I, I think if you are paying attention and to this, and I like to call this the social justice era, um, if you're living in this, I want people to understand that when you're, if you're confused about what we want, what African Americans want, what Black people want, um, and it seems disjointed, it seems like we're just. This is the first time we've been asked that legitimately. So mm-hmm. take a take a beat, right? So if we can't give you verbatim point bullet list of every demand or everything that we would like to see happen and change in this country, understand that this is really the first time in the history of this country that, that we've been asked that legitimately. Mm-hmm. And so let's, you know, just understand that there's a lot of things that we just learned to accept. We mm-hmm. have learned to accept in our society. And so 
now that we say, oh, there's an opportunity to remove that, whether it's a mm-hmm. statue or whether it's the Confederate flag or whatever it is, even down to I got an argument about somebody about John Wayne Airport. Uh, they're talking about being renamed. Just understand that there's a lot of things that have been oppressive mm-hmm. that are reminders of kind of a, an oppressive kind of time in this country. And we want those things removed, not erased removed and maybe moved to a different place so we could talk about it in the context of what it is which is history but when you have it out there on the capitol steps that makes it a celebrated part of history Mm -hmm. and confederacy should not be a celebrated part of history build a confederate memorial museum in mississippi or alabama it could be a tourist attraction i don't care i mean you can go and look at it and tell your grandfather your grandchildren your great-grandchildren yeah, you're a great, 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 great grandfather. Yeah, he uh, he wanted to own people and he fought for that, if that's what you want to do. But don't try to act like he was a hero who, well, he may be a hero to some people, but uh-huh. he also was a man who thought that other people were so much beneath him that they did not deserve to live. And so that's something we have to reckon with as a country. And yes, it's part of our history. It's part of our collective memory but it doesn't mean it's something to be celebrated and right. venerated and honored. It's something to be remembered. But remembering it and honoring are two different things. And um, on another note, I just looked at, at the... I look like Bane, for real. I told you you look like Bane. <laughs> Especially with these headsets. <laughs> 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 is oh, you think darkness is your ally? You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Oh my goodness. Oh, I hope, I hope everybody it. hears this. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then it was nothing to me but bright. Y'all, okay, so I don't know if the people in the in the chat room could hear it on Facebook Live, but our super producer, Greg, just came with the perfect, um, you know what you're doing the most, came with the perfect um, quote from uh, Batman, what was it, Batman Forever or whatever, the last the last Dark good Batman movie? The Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, yes. Oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> you believe you, uh, you've merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. <laughs> I was definitely born in it today. But you hear, you can hear it fully on, on the podcast. Re- yeah, uh, catch on the replay. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can always check it on the podcast. So with that being said, uh, our guest is on the line. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Sean Rochester and mm-hmm. let me tell you something. This brother is so accomplished. I, I, I we, I'm gonna try to read some of. It. I'm gonna give some highlights because it would take up too long on the show to talk mm-hmm. about his accomplishments. But we're really gonna talk about one of the the books that he wrote uh, called "The Black Tax." Right. The cost of being black in America. It's an interesting mm-hmm. topic, and he's really kind of put what it really cost to be black and in terms of finances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great book, and it's a great book that every all of us should be, and it's really important now. When we're talking about uh, trying to do some social justice uh, issues, we really need to see the financial part of social justice mm-hmm. and how much that is costing us. So when you come back, we're going to talk to Sean. Uh, you are listening to Thoughts and Moments right here on The Real 1100 AM. Have you been looking for a radio station that gives you sports? I don't believe it! Oh, it's a touchdown! Entertainment? Are you not entertained? And other special interest talk shows? Well, isn't that special? All on one app? Yo, that's dope. What app is that? It's the real 1100 AM app for WWE. 
Grab it for free in your Google Play or Apple App Store today. Kids follow your lead. Help them stay healthy. Wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes, nose, or mouth. And cover coughs and sneezes. Clean and disinfect the objects you touch often, like your phone, the remote, and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And if you're the one who's sick, stay home. This station is part of the Beasley Best Community of Caring, and we care about your family. For more info, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. I don't wear a mask for the same reason I don't un- wear underwear. Things gotta breathe. See? <laughs> Y'all thought I was playing. I told you that lady said that. When I heard that, I was gone. I was on the floor. And we are back. And you're listening to Dr. Moments right here on The Real 1100 AM. And that, coming back. <laughs> that was an excerpt from the Palm Beach County um, town hall that I was telling you about earlier, where the local people were protesting the potential mandatory mask vote, which did go by unanimously. They unanimously voted yeah. to wear masks because there are doctors and scientists on that board, and they know better. I, I, I think this, um, the mask doesn't prevent breathing. Is it, does it make it more difficult? Am I tired of smelling my recycled breath right now? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But I got a breath mint in, so it's right. minty. And you can still breathe. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't, I don't get the issue. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is it not normal yes is that but we're not living in normal times right do you understand 2.7 million people are sick 125,000 people have died and more to come we had 50,000 more confirmed cases yesterday so we got to get over this whole i don't feel like wearing a mask god didn't want me to wear a mask okay no. all right well uh call him up you'll be there soon <laughs> have you seen the um the people like having the exempt cards, like they're exempt yes. from wearing a mask by the CDC. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's know. crazy. Like, it, I think it's like people are going to be getting on bone spurs to get out of uh, wearing masks. You know what? Um, <laughs> and, uh, just in case you didn't hear Greg, what he's talking about is people have started creating little laminated like ID sized cards that said they have a basically they got a note from the CDC that says they don't have to wear a mask. And if you try to make them wear a mask, you'll be subject to litigation. I saw one of those cards and I was like, first of all, it says the person that possesses this card and it doesn't say possesses. It says posses because whoever wrote it can't spell. And then there was another (laughs) error in there. It was bad grammar. It was clearly a doctored sealed. I think they stole it from like a military website. It was all trash. So a good look at it and you would know this isn't possibly real. But also you're trying to come into a place where I work or where I, you know, uh, shop, etc., without a mask on, you ain't got to come in here. You could have your groceries delivered via DoorDash. Um, you could Instacart. send someone else to the store for you if you have a real medical condition. And if you have a medical condition that makes it hard for you to breathe in a mask, you're in a high-risk population. You ain't supposed to be outside. No way. So <laughs> miss me with that nonsense. So uh, enough about people acting a fool. We're, we're going to bring on our guest, Sean Ron- Rochester. Yes. Sean, are you there? I am here. How are you guys doing? We are doing great. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Uh, we are excited to have you on here. Yes. I, I, I'm looking here at your bio. Wow. So just kind of give people uh, a rundown of how you got to this point and what you know prompted you to write this book. <clears throat> um, so 
So I have, uh, you know, a background in like uh, engineering, mm-hmm. um, as well as you know, in finance and accounting and entrepreneurship. I've done a lot of stuff um, in terms of transactions uh, around the world uh, and working to, to grow enterprises. I've been very engaged in the community, um, pretty much for the entirety of my adult life. My, my wife and I have been part of the organization that's during our tenure. Put uh, about two million dollars into the hands of high, black high school students who were going off to university, um, and you know I used to travel kind of all over the world. And I got to a, a point where I started to think about you know what are some of the things that we can do to, to tackle the wealth gap, um, and I actually first started to focus on how do we help provide information on how we can like manage our limited resources more effectively to be able to, to grow wealth. Um, and then I wanted to encourage people to do business with black enterprise, right? <clears throat> but uh, one of the things that you, you, we have to understand is people got a lot of reasons and excuses why they don't want to do business yeah. uh, with, with black enterprise. So you, you can't start with, hey, you should do business with black enterprise. Um, so and generally, we tend to think about it in terms of uh, a cost, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, or charity, you know, I'm, I'm going to help you out, type mm-hmm. of thing, right? Right. Or I'm going to overcome some concern I have about quality or, or something right. else. I'm going to kind of help you, you out. Break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So what I want to do is, is like if we're going to think about it in terms of some kind of cost, well, let me kind of show you what the costs really are for what we're doing now, right? And you know, as as you guys know, and and I would observe, it's like every six months or so, you see some type of research about how there's discrimination in some marketplace mm-hmm. uh, to black people, whether it's like in the automotive space or you hear about it in the, you know, re- uh, real estate, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And those things always seem like taxes to me, right? Yeah. Um, a particularly nefarious kind of tax because you actually don't benefit from it, right? It's a one-way kind right. of thing. So, you know, I started to to look at, you know, what, what are the costs? Of, of this form of discrimination um, in the present day, right, in areas that are critical to wealth accumulation for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did look back and said, well, you know, what, what does this look like in the past? Um, and that is kind of like when you start pulling on a string in a sweater, yeah. some really interesting things start to happen, right? It right. starts to unravel. So you, you got to see the size, the scale, the continuity, the longevity of it, which was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, it was a series of talks and classes. You know, eventually it became uh, two books that I wrote. One, The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America, and the other is about personal financial management called CPR uh, okay. for the soul. Wow. Um, so short, short question mm-hmm. is, what does it cost to be black in America? How, how much more of a premium are we without, paying <laughs> without giving away the without book? Without giving away the book, right. <laughs> but give us some, of, I guess, give us some of the things that black people have to pay as a premium for just being black in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's let's look at, um, let's take an, an example of, like, if you, you know, someone who is an attorney, right? Yes. Um, so I look at a, a number of studies that have been that have been done. So uh, if you think about someone who's an attorney, it was a study that was done um, that, that looked at a memo that was created by an associate, right, in a law firm. Um, they, they built 21 errors, right, into this memo. So errors in spelling, grammar, 
the facts, the analysis of the facts, so on and so forth, right? And, and they sent it out to partners at law firms. Uh, and for one set of partners, they told them that it was written by, you know, a black attorney. For the other set, they told them it was written by a white attorney. So when uh, the, the kind of evaluation came back, um, so those who thought it was written by a white attorney, they got a four out of five, hmm. right? Wow. Uh, 80%, right? Again, nothing to write home about, but this is 80% for something that got 21 errors built into it, right? So, so not bad. But when it was thought to be a, a black attorney, it got a 3.1 out of 5, right? So that's mm-hmm. about 62%. So in any school district in America, that's failure, mm-hmm. right? Right. So that's a tremendous difference in kind of evaluation when it comes to, um, you know, that work product, right, for, for an attorney. Um, and, and what they found was if you looked at the errors associated with, uh, you know, grammar and spelling, for example, uh, there's seven of those specifically uh, when they thought it was written by a white person, they only caught three of them. When they thought it was written by a, by a black person, they caught six, hmm. right? Hmm. So 100% more errors being found, right? Just imagine a differential for the same exact amount of work. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> if you think about this, and, and their assessment of that work product when they thought it was a black person was, you know, I don't really think that this person would as the, 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 would be a, a good candidate for partner, right? They're extrapolating to the future, and they're not seeing that person on that track. Now, you, you know, you, you can still live a good life as an attorney who never becomes a partner, right? right. But you're talking about someone who's actually qualified to, to do it or as qualified as the other candidate. And the difference between partner and, and, and not partner can be, you know, $11 million in after-tax earnings over a career, right? It's, it's a big deal, right? <laughs> now, think about not just what that means for that individual, Think about not what that means for their family. Think also about for the churches or the houses of worship that they may be a part of. Think about the nonprofit boards that they may be on, Mm -hmm. right? Think about how how those resources are not able now to reverberate throughout their community, right? It's a massive and significant loss for the same exact work product that's just... um, you know, interpreted, valued in, in a completely different way, wow. right? And, and again, and this is, this is you know, this is at the highest level of education, right? These, these people are at a doctoral level, mm-hmm. right? And, and we're talking about being evaluated by partners. So you're assuming that there would be a higher level of obje- objectivity associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. But anti-black bias, which is this is an example of, is plays out across the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm regardless of level of, of education or stature within a corporation or, you know, an organization. You know, you're absolutely right about that. And it's it's interesting. Um, I don't, I don't. well, you don't know me, of course, but I'm a, a diversity and inclusion consultant. And I've looked at those studies around hiring practices and yep. resume reviews. And just recently yep. I was looking at a study, and this was in the U.K. This was not a United States study. They sent out applications to 3,200 different jobs and they got, they had to send out 60% more applications to get the same number of callbacks for black, black applicants as they did for white applicants with the exact same resume over and over again. Um, right. They found that Nigerian-born people in the UK had to send out twice as many resumes uh, or were seen as less, with, and we're talking with advanced degrees, engineering degrees, et cetera, was seen as less qualified than white British people at just a, like, 
um, what do they call it, primary school education. Yep. And yep. that additional work, you know, we've always said you got to work twice as hard to get half as much. And it seems like that is happening all over the place. But having that ceiling placed on you from, an, uh, like you said, it's just a, it's a anti-black bias. It's not performance. It's not education. It's not um, qualification. It's arbitrary based on yep. what you look like, what your name sounds like, where you're from. And it holds us all back, which stops us from being able to generate, like you said, that wealth, not just in our family, but in our community. Absolutely. And just to, to piggyback on, on what you're saying, right, what we're observing, bias by definition, is a systematic error in judgment, right? So mm-hmm. it's not random. It's wow. in the same direction for the same amount of people. Now, I get calls from all over the world because people are like, hey, can you do this for our country, right? Because we see the black tax here, right? And so if we bring that back to the U.S., just to piggyback on what you said, mm-hmm. you know, uh, researchers from one of my alma maters, University of Chicago, right, did a very similar study. They wanted to take a look at discrimination in the labor market, right? So they sent out thousands of resumes that they had prepared. Now, they, they allowed the resumes to vary in terms of what they called quality. So, so the prestige of the institution, right, that the person went to, the depth of experience, the length of experience, so on and so forth. And they sent them out to, to thousands of, of um, uh, companies. And, and here's you know, what they found. If you had, and, and, and what they did is the same exact res- resumes, they would put a white sounding name. Uh, on on them and then have a black sounding name, right? And what they found was if you had, um, you know, the white sounding names got 50%, you know, more callbacks, mm-hmm. right? Same exact resume, no difference, right? So you're, you're, that's, you're not even getting the opportunity at the mm-hmm. same rate to be able to talk about how you could be a great fit, you know, all of the, the things that go into the dynamics of a wonderful kind of interview. That's off the table when, when you start talking about a 50% differential. The other thing that they saw was if it was a white candidate, as the quality or strength of the resume increased, the callbacks went up by 30%. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense, right? Stronger candidate, you want to talk to that person. But for those who had a black-sounding name, no statistical increase in demand. Well, it doesn't matter what you do. They don't want you. <laughs> None. And by the way, wow. you had to have like eight more years of experience to overcome that, right? Mm. And, and their study was so broad, it was both private sector, public sector. It was small business. It was large business. across industry. It, it, it existed everywhere, Right. And, and this is part of what people need to, to understand, because in, in the book, I start off by talking about what the kind of levels of anti-black bias are, right? Because they're showing up in two ways. They're showing up in the explicit kind, which means you know exactly what you're doing, right? And you have a very strong negative feeling, right, when it comes to black people. And then the other kind of way or mode that it shows up is the unconscious or implicit way, right? You, you don't know what you're doing, but you are still reacting, in ways that are that are discriminatory. And when you when you look at those levels, right, you know, researchers said that for the explicit levels, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about about a little over 50 percent of the population. Right. So, so you have an anti-black bias. Right. That's a significant number. When you talk about the unconscious levels, the number is closer to 56 percent, so almost mm-hmm. six in ten. And then if you look at the work that, that Harvard has done, because they have an online test where you can measure your level of, bias. of implicit bias, called the implicit association test, right, where they have some really clever 
and, and thoughtful ways of teasing out subconscious uh, bias. Mm-hmm. Um, millions of people have taken that. And we're talking, you know, the people who have, they call it automatic white preference, which is a wonderful way of saying anti-black bias, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and we're talking about seven in 10 Americans, right? So the point here is these levels are extraordinary high extraordinarily high. And what I do in the book is I start looking at, okay, well, how is this manifesting itself um, in areas that are critical for wealth accumulation? And does it have a cash flow effect? Right? Mm. Because I don't really care what people believe, uh, to to be honest with you. Uh, It just is an issue if it has a cash flow effect for us, because now it affects our intergenerational, uh, you know, financial abilities. Mm -hmm. And, And that's, you know, unacceptable. You know, we have a if, yeah, if you're just listening to, if you're just joining us right now, we are talking to Sean Rochester, the author of the book, The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. Go ahead with our question. Yeah. So uh, Shane in our chat room says, is there a difference in these results between American descendants of slavery populations and more recent immigration or more recent immigrant populations? The, the studies did not make any distinction between those two, two things, mm-hmm. right? Um, what you will see, like, let me give you an example, right? Because if, if you're black, you, you're going to be affected by this. You're not going to be shielded mm-hmm. by your, your particular ethnicity, right, within the diaspora. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me give you an example that sounds like it makes no sense, right? And if, if it wasn't done by a study, and so it was Harvard and Yale, I believe, did this. And it was uh, a study based off of eBay. And they were looking at uh, online commerce, right, and, and how these biases might play out. So they did a study based on baseball cards. And what they found was if the seller was black, uh, you would see like a 20% lower offering for the card, same mm-hmm. card, mm-hmm. than if the seller was white. Think about your business taking a, tw- uh, a 20% swing on mm-hmm. the top line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Now, the question you probably have is, how would they even know that the seller was black or white, right? The way they would know is when they took a picture of the baseball card. You know, if you hold it between your, th- your thumb and your pointer finger, mm-hmm. right? Just the little tips of that was captured in there. Mm-hmm. So there was enough to distinguish that melanin was present, right? Mm-hmm. And that triggered the bias levels, which, which caused this uh, 20% differential, right, on average, and a pricing that was offered, yeah. There is no way to, to understand your ethnicity when it comes to that. That's right. going to just black people. Yeah. You you know what I mean? Dark but, skin. Go ahead. I don't want it. Yeah. I, I, look, yeah. you got to make me mad. I'm about to go turn over the table somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story. I was in I was in um, H-E-B, which is a store in Houston, Texas. It's a Texas store. And they were selling wine because they sell a lot of wine. And I was watching this guy do his sales pitch. And he was doing a great job. Um, he was a white guy. And he was selling this new wine and he was talking about the grapes in California and the, the way it was made and et cetera, et cetera. And he was talking to a white woman in front of me and she was sold. I could see that she was liking it. She loved the flavor, blah, blah, blah. She put a bottle in her basket and I'm in sales. So I know once you make the sale, you shut up, you stop talking. But he didn't. And he was so excited that he was making the sale that he gave her the background of the vineyard. Because it was an unusual story, the vineyard was belong uh, was owned by E40, the rapper. Oh, and when oh, she when she okay. heard that, I Sprinkle saw me, baby. I saw the light go out, and mm. she's like, "Oh, okay." And then she pushed her basket a little further, took that bottle out of her her basket, and put it to the side. It kept going, and I had to tell him. I said, I, "I know you're excited, but you're gonna lose sales if you keep telling people that a black person owns this vineyard." 
I said, just, you know, just go on the flavor, the, the attributes, etc. And he looked at me so confused. He's like, but it's such a good story. Yeah, I know. To but you. I'm telling you, <laughs> we in South Houston, don't nobody want to hear that. So, and, and it speaks to what you're talking about. Just the simple fact, regardless of the fact that she loved the flavor, she was sold, she thought it was great. He explained the process, etc. The fact that a black person owned the vineyard, she didn't want it anymore. And I remember seeing that in vivid detail. You know, this was only a couple years ago. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It, 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 it's powerful and it has a huge economic impact, right? So, so if you think about it, an area that's a massive amount of spend for us, it's automotive. Yeah. Yes. Right? So we buy about 5 million cars a year. Whew. And you, you know what I mean? So we're, we're, we're major players from a consumption perspective, right, when it, when it comes to this. And, and there was a study that was done to look at this auto buying process. And what they did was they had people kind of go out to various dealers, Right. Um, and but they gave them the same playbook. Like, here's how you negotiate. Right. For for deals and whatnot. Some were, were black males, some were white males. Um, and, and what they found was a, a couple of different things. The first was that the the opening offer. Right. That the sales agent at the dealer gave the white buyer was lower than the fully negotiated price that the black buyer got. Wow. Right. Say that again. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Say that again. So, so the people really understand what you just said. Right. So, so they sent out black buyers and white buyers, same playbook, same negotiating techniques, and they have the same kind of credit profile, right? Um, and, and, and the like. So they're trying to isolate for racialized impacts, right? And what they found was the opening offer that the sales agent gave the white buyer. Right, I'll sell you the car for this. Was lower than the fully negotiated price that the black buyer got. Right. right? So wow. the, white, the white buyer didn't even start to negotiate yet. This is this is what this is what we can give you in the car. So you ain't asked for it. This we're is where finishing. We're, we're finishing at a rate at a place that is higher than where they started. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. So so you're, you're talking about on average like a eleven hundred dollar differential, right? By the way, you're carrying that. Yes. through the ownership of the car and the financing. Mm-hmm. Then you have the, the, the issue associated with markups. So dealers would have the ability to do discretionary markups, right? So they're going to go out, get a quote for what your uh, you know credit profile says that you should get. And then they get to add a markup on top of that, right? But that's a judgment call. That's subjective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You would see black buyers getting up to a 400% uh, markers, relative white buyers, on the ability to increase, right, uh, the interest rate, you know, at, at, at the dealership. You know what I mean? So now, so it's showing up in your purchase price, right? Now it's showing up in your financing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're also dealing uh, with, with the fact that you're paying higher insurance costs if you're living in a black community, particularly a black middle class community. Wow. <laughs> All things. So, so these, so if, and by the way, if we're in a position where we need a car, chances are, we're going to have to purchase seven to nine of those over the lifetime. So if you start running into that on a regular basis, you, you start talking about tens of thousands of dollars of mm-hmm. incremental costs associated with that process. Mm-hmm. That's now not going into legacy, right? That's not going into family. That's not going into intergenerational kind of wealth transfer mm-hmm. times millions of people. These numbers start to, to really kind of explode in, in size. So it isn't just 
you know, people have these explicit belief systems. It's not just that they have these unconscious belief systems, but it's how it shows up in the form of an economic cash flow effect that affects black individuals and communities, right, mm-hmm. um, and, and households. That is part of this black tax, right? That's part of, of, you know, what I'm talking about. And also it shows up in housing, right? And it shows up financing. Well, let's let's yeah. put a pause on that. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about housing. And then after we talk about housing, we're going to talk about some solutions. And I know yeah. you've got some solutions in your second book to kind of help people save that money and be able to build that wealth for their for themselves and for their generation. So you're listening to Thoughts and Moments right here on The Real 1100 AM. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for 75 years, he's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like, you park your car on tall, dry grass. The hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So be careful out there. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. There's a lot going on in the world. And your world is always changing. That's why it's important to stay connected. The latest news, the latest entertainment, the newest music. If it's in the air or on the air, it can be in the palm of your hand, wherever you are, with the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Over 1,500 live radio stations from across the country. And over 15 million songs to create your own custom stations. Text IHR to 45495 to download the app or listen at iHeartRadio.com. Standard text and data rates apply. If I was a Kennedy, I'd be a black Kennedy. Black car, black tux, this is black symmetry. Raised in the side on my family from Tennessee. I remember me, Reem Dilla, we was in the deep. Riding through the city with the top. And we are back and you're listening to Thoughts and Moments Radio right here on The Real 1100 AM. If I sign muffled or if my... Co-host sound muffled. We are wearing our mask. We yes. are. I had to travel, so I was in some different places, and so I'm trying to be a good right. steward. I can't of, trust him no more. <laughs> my partner and <laughs> my producer, and so we apologize for the muffled voices, but we are trying to stay safe and keep ourselves healthy. Before the break, we are and we're still talking to our guest, Sean D. Rochester. He is the author of the Black Tax: The Cost of Being Black in America, and he has been sharing some incredulous stories, I guess that's the safest mm-hmm. word I can say, yeah. about what the difference is in hiring practices, in automobiles, mm-hmm. and just in general, how uh, eBay, just how being black is perceived and how it affects whether you're trying to get a job, whether you're trying to purchase something. And so right before the break, we were talking about housing. And, yes. we, and we, all, we all know that a lot of wealth is generated from owning your property from your home. Mm-hmm. You can uh, you know, borrow against it to right. send your kids to college and help them, you know, yeah. not have debt going forward. Um, it, there's a lot of kind of wealth. Gets yeah. That's how you build generational wealth is through uh, real estate and how you manage it. And, you know, I'm just thinking about the houses that I bought and sold over the years and how real estate agents would tell me, take all these pictures of your family down, all these little black statues you got, put them in the garage or something, wow. hide all of this. Don't let anybody think that a black person owns this piece of property and it'll sell faster. And she was right every single time. Wow. So, <laughs> Sean, I, we'll, we'll throw that to you. What's, what's the effect of being black on real estate and owning a home or, or trying to buy or sell a home? Yeah, it, it, it can be, uh, it, it has a devastating, you know, financial effect, right? So there, there's some innocuous things like, 
on average, it's going to take you longer to find a home, right? And you're going to be shown less homes, yeah. right? So your, your likelihood of finding your dream home is diminished because of that. But then research has also said that, um, you know, when they looked at, you know, they called it, you know, mortgage lending organizations that they found uh, for, you know, black and white individuals with the same credit pro- pro- profile and the same credit score, that the black people were treated as if their credit score was 71 points on average lower, hmm. wow. right? So just just think about that because there's a huge difference between a 600, right, and, and, a, and, a, and a 530. There's a huge difference between, you know, a 680 and a 610, right? So, yeah. so on and so forth. Everything's the same, right? But that level of, of treatment uh, is different, right? You also have to, to, to deal with the challenges of much higher denial rate so your ability to get the financing in, in the first place and then when you get it uh, on average it, it tends to be like about 150 basis points higher right mm-hmm. which is is substantial because you're carrying at quite possibly over a 30-year period right that incremental uh you know interest rate adds up to, to an exorbitant amount and then one of the things that researchers have also found is like you know um <clears throat> You know, uh, uh, black home buyers are receiving like you know eighteen percent less value, right, mm-hmm. per dollar uh, uh, of income on their home. So your equity appreciation um, is is significantly less, right? Um, and and those are the types of things that we use to uh, start businesses or pay for our kids to go to college or take out money to even you know buy another home, you know, so on and so forth, right? And when you look at that over. Um, you know, tens of millions of people, you you can talk, you can uh, expect a difference in the value of what our real estate is and should be of over $300 billion, right? Like this, this, this adds up significantly and it carries forward. That's just in the right now, right? This has, we haven't even started to talk about what the historical costs have been, right? right? Which are far, far higher um, than these things. And this, to me is part of a question I try to answer right in the book, which is how is it that after 400 years, black people only own about 2% of U.S. wealth, mm. right? Either that says that we are like consistently um, and colossally inept, or there's something else going on in the environment that we need to take a closer look at, right? And, and, and that's and, what I wanted to do. And the narrative that B. is spread across <laughs> the U.S. because it keeps the, keeps the status quo and keeps people comfortable is that we are systematically inept. Right. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. if you now if you can isolate the individual, then why help them? You could, well, my life is hard, too. Right. I got to work hard. Why can't you just kind of work hard? Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are, you know, there have been studies that have been done that says uh, what they've done with with white home buyers. And they said, listen, if you can have all the attributes in the home that you want. Right. So the rooms and, you know, the amenities and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Safety, a, a good school district. But it's in a black community. Don't want it. Right. right now, somebody can look at that and think of, oh, that's just a qualitative thing in taste. Right. But if you don't want it, that's a reduction in demand for something that actually has significant value. Mm-hmm. Right. Which you're diminishing the price of, of that thing, which by definition means you're, you're diminishing the equity in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the difference between what, you, what it's worth and what it's owed. Right. Yeah. So when you've got people who have massive levels of, of anti-black bias this is why you start to see you know black communities having these very low rates right mm-hmm. this is the, the the starting point for what then becomes gentrification right because we our property values are artificially low because of these levels of of, of bias mm-hmm. 
And yet and still the gentrifier themselves is thinking that they're going to take a calculated risk or take a gamble on moving into this neighborhood and consider themselves very progressive for catching something at a, a hell of a deal. Right. Yeah. So what's happening is, is the interest of the gentrifiers is just marking their value back to market. Yeah. Right. And the other thing is when they come, they're also bringing massive infrastructure investments alongside of that investment. Right. right. To, to, to prop those those things up. So it, it, this is this is kind of the, the, ma- the massive levels of economic disparity that's feeding this. Yeah, you know, it was funny. I was um, driving around uh, Atlanta here this last week and um, kind of taking my kids on a tour. We didn't get out in the car, though, Joy. <laughs> but, um, and I was showing them areas that when I first moved to Atlanta were black um, not developed. They were just, you know, areas of, hey, look, you know, there was a certain time, you know, you didn't want to be around there at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just knew kind of what it was. But because of gentrification, they have now been fully developed. You see people out there running around, walking their dogs mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'm saying, yeah, it, it's amazing how that has happened. That, But I'm like, what if that development had come in when it was, you know, right. still predominantly african-american could we raise a value i guess the question uh, that that i have is how do we change this like we've got a lot of data your book has got a lot of data i know your second book has got some great information how do we as black people how do we as a culture society american society how do we change this so this is a massive question right i'm gonna try to do it some justice the first thing I, i want people to understand is we have to fully understand what the contours of the problem are. And everybody wants to rush to, to to solutions, right? And many people working on solutions don't understand the extent of these uh, issues. The, the, the second thing that we have to remember is no one thing put black people in a situation. It was right? everything. It was everything. So there's no silver bullet. Oh, we're going to do this, right? So whenever you hear people say, oh, that's not going to close the gap, of course it won't, right? Because it's a compendium of things that we'll we'll have to do it. So one of the things that I introduce at the end of this book is an economic framework that I call PhD, which which stands for Purchase, Hire, and Deposit in Ways that Create Jobs, Create and Expand Businesses, and Provide Capital in a Black Community, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you measure the efficacy of a plan, a program, a policy, a strategy, right? Everybody's got some idea about what's going to work. Right. Is it creating a job in a black community? Right. Is it creating or expanding business in a black community? And are you providing capital liquidity? Right. To be able to fund and facilitate those things. If you are not doing that, you plan your policy, your initiative, whatever it is, it's not doing that. then it's just a shiny object. It's symbolic. Right. That's Mm -hmm. that's that's the first thing you can do that as individuals. Right. In terms of. Wait, the P, how we purchase, that's just our consumer spend. And you guys all, you know the numbers, right? We talk about the $1.2 trillion, right? You know, some people mention $1.3 trillion of kind of total black spend, but only about 2% of that goes to black enterprise, right? So it's being able to shift that spend to more black businesses, right? And, 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 and from my perspective, also make sure we do it in the more substantial ways. So, so people go out and say, oh, you know, if they're, they're so blessed, right, to be successful and they go out and they buy some, you know, million-dollar home or something like that. Mm-hmm. My question is, was there a black realtor engaged in that, right? Because because typically if you're buying a home, you're probably buying and selling, moving from one to another. And you got to pay transaction fees associated with that. And I'm like, if I have to pay fees, I'm going to make sure that our brother or sister are getting paid because yeah. these, these are substantial fees, right? Yes. So 
it, you you have to insure the place, right? If you, you know the bank's going to require that that you do that, and even if it, you owned it outright, common sense says you should insure it. Well, are you using a black broker, right? If you find the place and, and you want to make some changes, maybe you don't love how the kitchen is or the baths or you you know the roof, the basement, whatever. Are we utilizing our contractors, right? Like these are. You know, fabulous, amazing jobs that are never going to leave. They're never going to be off- offshore or exported and whatnot. We don't need anybody's permission to to do these things. We can do these things ourselves, right? What lawyer are you using? What financial planner are you using? Right? What back office, uh, you know, um, support um, are you are you using? Right? What attorney are you? There's so many different services, right, that we can utilize that pay great money. Um, and and create jobs right within within our uh, within our community. You know, you know if I want to interrupt ahead. you for just a second because I want to give I want to give a shout out to myself, but I also want to talk to people <laughs> about how easy it is um, on on the surface how easy it is to do what you're saying to do. Because like when I moved to Atlanta, I sold a condo in Houston. I bought one in Atlanta. My real yep. estate agent in Houston is black. My real estate agent here is black. <laughs> She's a sore of mine. She works with a black team. So my my bank loan, the my um, underwriter, all of them, they were black. My uh, insurance is through a black, you know, it's through a multinational company, but it's a black agent. And so we try to keep everybody getting those fees. Like you said, Uh, when I need some work done, you know, I've got a couple of people that I know that do that kind of work, you know, come help me with my plumbing, my plumbing, my pipes, et cetera. My massage therapist is black. So finding those people that are reputable that, you know, sometimes there's this resistance amongst ourselves that, you know, they're going to do a good job finding these people. It ain't hard. It took me all of two days two days to get all of that together. Um, use your network. And so often, we got thousands of friends on Facebook. We don't know what any of them do for a living. And they are going to be lawyers, pediatricians, um, you know, real estate agents, uh, stockbrokers, etc. on your friends list. So don't be afraid to, you know, use that recommendation feature on uh, Zuckerberg's crazy Facebook <laughs> and find the people that can help you keep that money or at least keep some of it in your community. Absolutely. Like th- these things are, are critical. I think back in, I think it was like 2016 or something like that. I think that the number of transactions for homes is like somewhere around 177,000 is what was bought and sold by, by black people. If they had used black realtors just for that, and by the way, that's under the level of what it should be proportionately, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd need 14,000 more black realtors working every day all day just to do all those transactions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, we're talking about pumping, and we're talking about billions of dollars, right, in transaction fees associated with it. The the ability uh, to do that is 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 super critical, and we don't need anyone's uh, permission. You know what I mean? Right. For example, um, like, and my view is, when possible, where possible, right? You're not always in a situation to do these things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have, I have a you know I have a, I have a nice car, a car that I like, right? But I bought it from a black dealer. You know what I mean? Right. right. Pre-COVID, there's 16,000 auto dealerships, but there's only 264 who are black. Like, can you imagine how infinitesimally small that number is? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so we were intentional uh, about okay, this is we're going to buy it from from a black dealer. These are phenomenal jobs. 66 people on average work at these things. Have you ever gone to a dealership and got a small bill? Probably not. You know what I mean? These are great paying jobs, right? <laughs> uh, that could empower our community. We don't need anybody's permission. That P, when it comes to organizations, that's your supply chain spent, right? right. So, what? Go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Sorry, I was excited. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, for 
our churches, for our universities, for our cities, for our state, for, for, for the federal government, for the corporations that we're talking about, what is the supply chain spend with, with black enterprise? And it's small. Across corporations, it's less than 2%. And again, I'm very specific. I'm talking about black enterprise, black right. people, black communities, right? Not, not minority. Right. So, I've seen right? that with, happen where they'll yeah. use, uh, you know, uh, veteran, woman-owned, et cetera, and hit their quote-unquote minority number, and they'll skip over the black-owned businesses in favor of something else that checks that box. It's, and it's intentional because the black uh, business commerce they're doing with it is abysmal, right? Sean, Sean, oh. Sean we could, oh man, we could do two hours with this, and, uh, and the chat room is excited to hear, get that information. Mm-hmm. So um, if you want to get all the information, uh, Sean, tell people how they can get, reach out to you, how can they get the book, how can they follow you? I'll follow you on Instagram. How can they follow you? Give give everybody your information and how could they get your book? Yeah, so to, to get uh, the book, go to www.blacktaxedwithaned.com. Uh, That's www.blacktaxedwithaned.com. I am on Instagram as, you know, Black Taxed uh, and Sean Rochester. I'm on Facebook as well as Sean Rochester. I'm on Twitter trying to get more active on Twitter as uh, Black Tax is is the handle. And then I have talks that are online that you guys can um, can Google. All that right, is put that up. in the chat room for everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sean, Sean, Sean. We have been trying to get uh, together for over a year, hmm. so I'm so excited that we were able to get you on the show. Uh, the time is right. Black folks, we got to strengthen our dollars. Thank you so much for joining us, Sean. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got we got another one in the bag. We got another one. We took it right up to the right up to the wire. Like uh, our producers, like shut it down. You gotta go. You know. So um, I appreciate everybody being in the chat room. I thought this was a great conversation. Yes. Um, you guys know we'll, we'll probably keep it going for another few minutes um, after after the fact on the on the Facebook Live, but um, for now we got to sign on out. Peace. <laughs>